0: you know, if you're going to go 30 years in this racket, you know, the one thing that you have to learn to do is, is, is be adaptable.
1: Hello and welcome to Where the Living Room Used to Be, a podcast about Rhode Island's music scene. it's James. John DeFruccio has been a nightclub and concert promoter in Providence since the early 80s. Starting as a radio DJ at Rhode Island College he's gone on to book shows at The Living Room and Confetti. Uh, He's also run venues such as Club Hell and Firehouse 13. Uh, In our interview we talk about a lot of the stuff and the ups and downs of the music business from his experience. And we also um, discuss what he has planned in the future for Askew and Alchemy, uh, which are two of the clubs that he co-owns with his wife, Winsong Hadley. Uh, So I hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening right now. And also make sure to follow Where the Living Room Used to Be on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I'll be posting a bunch of photos of show flyers and a whole bunch more uh, from John's time
0: in music. Thanks. East province had a lot of woods. I mean, this was the seventies. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, there was still a lot of underdeveloped land and, you know, so, um, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was, it was just a you know, typical, you know, working class, middle-class, you know, neighborhood really. Okay. Um, um, the one interesting thing, um, I could say that when I was in high school, um, I was probably 16, you know, somewhere in there, 15, somewhere between 15 and 17. Um, there was a a, a a venue that decided to make a go of it. Um, it was called Center Stage. Okay. And it was actually in East Providence. And, um, you know, I think the players that were involved were people that were, you know, in the music scene at that time. And, and you know, and, it, and this is before my time. So I, I'm not really familiar with who everybody was. But um, I remember I used to have to walk back and forth by it and, to get to work. I had an after school job. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so this place existed on the same road as the high school and in between my, you know, my job and, and, and school. And yeah. uh, so I used to walk by it sometimes at, you know, at night at the end of my shift. And I would hear, you know, music coming out of this thing. And I remember that, for me anyway, that was kind of like the first feeling that I got, you know, that I really couldn't explain. I just, I just always remembered that I would walk by this place and I would stop, you know, and, and listen like, to the music a little bit and get a little excited about it and, you know, and wonder what's going on inside, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, having no idea that, you know, that, you know, that that kind of thing was in me. You know, but whatever it was, uh, it was, you know, it was kind of drawing me to it. And what I actually found out years later was I spent some time listening to The Wall at a band playing, and um, it turned out that it was U2 on their first uh, American tour. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, And it was, you know, probably, you know, but way before, I think, most people didn't know who they were, you know. Yeah. You know, whatever record they were on, maybe Boy or War, you know. and. Yeah. uh, you know, I don't think they were, I don't recall seeing a lot of cars and a lot or anything like that. So I imagine it probably wasn't a great show for the venue. But you two did play East Providence, Rhode Island.
2: Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. All right. Is that uh, the typical band that would play there? Was it like rock bands that were playing? Yeah, I mean, venue? for
0: me, most of the time when I was walking by, it would be rock bands of some kind. And, okay. you know, and again, I, I, you know, had yet to really heading to that path so i didn't really know a ton about music at that time most of the music i knew was whatever my dad was playing (laughs) okay
2: and what was he into
0: is it well my dad my dad was a singer and um he had you know got involved with the choir in high school and then got involved with a um you know and this is the 60s now early 60s you know late 50s early 60s and, and he he ended up uh taking a uh, four, three guys from the choir and, and formed this little four-piece, you know, uh, singing group. It was mostly an acapella singing group, you know, kind of almost, yep. like, almost like a doo-wop thing, I guess. And uh, you know, and he actually, he actually, you know, spent a little time, you know, going out and playing a few shows here or there and singing some songs in a few places. And they got on a television show. I forgot which one it was. It wasn't Ed Sullivan or anything like that, but it was something. I think it was like a local version of like the Ed Sullivan show, yeah. you know. And, uh, nice. right. yeah,
3: you know
0: okay. So he got to sing on TV and, you know, cool. uh, so he was like into all that kind of stuff. You know, he loved, he loved. Um, I mean, some of the bands that I took, oh, some of the music that I took away from him, really, uh, the Drifters were one of them, uh, mm-hmm. you know, love loved them, love that music, you know, and uh, that stuff I just, you know, remember my dad playing all the time. Yeah. And you had to be a really good singer. My dad was a good singer. You know? Yeah. Okay. And he was really, and it was really important to him that, you know, singers sang, you know? Yeah. By the time I got around to start listening to my contemporaries, he was like, what the hell is this crap? <laughs> 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 just like theory, you know? Yeah. So, you know, then I, you know, I got to high school and I sort of started going, hey, there's, there's this rock and roll thing going on. You know, yeah. So, started kind of listening to what my friends were listening to, you know?
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, when did you start going to shows and where were you going? You know, again, I think, I think, I mean, two things were going on. One, I was a jock. So I had a a really important wrestling career going on at the time. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and my parents were a little bit, you know, strict. So I, I didn't get, you know, I wasn't the kind of kid that was like, you know, out of the house at 15 going to shows. Okay. Uh, you know, I didn't get that opportunity. It, believe it or not, the first live band I ever saw on a stage was Quiet Riot. And okay. uh, they were also uh, also on stage with them with uh, the local band, The Neighborhoods. Oh, all right. Yeah, it was a weird it was a weird show. The lineup even at that I mean, I'm standing at my first show and I'm going, "Man, this this lineup doesn't make any sense." <laughs> I already had an ear for it, you know, back yeah. then. But um that show it was actually at Fox it was at Fox Point and it was outside and it was it, it it became a famous show for a while because um during the show a kid ended up uh climbing all the way up to the top of the um electric wire the high tension wire tower and jumped off and killed himself wow joe the, the, the band had to stop playing you know the whole show almost got canceled i mean it was pretty you know it was like big news you know yeah for 19 you know 82 or 83 whenever that was yeah um yeah wow and so that was uh that was my first experience with live rock and roll mm-hmm. and, um that was that and then and then my first show at the civic center was uh I believe was Twisted Sister with Quiet Riot opening up for him or the other way around. It was one of the two, but I ended yep. up, and that was, that was months later and that was my first Civic Center show.
3: Yeah.
0: And then somebody, uh, you know, back then you used to have to wait out for your tickets, right? So yeah. So if, if you wanted a good seat, you like went overnight and sat out in front of the Civic Center and waited for the. You know, the
2: tickets to go on sale at the box yeah, office. Sale. Yeah. Maybe
0: they gave you a number. Sometimes there would be security there; they'd give you a number so you yeah. knew how to line up at the time. And and so um, the greatest thing about that was was that you got to meet these kids from everywhere. Oh, okay, that were just
2: into the same kind of music,
0: and yeah, everybody brought music. You know, uh-huh. we could, had nothing better to do for six or seven hours but sit outside. And um, you know, we didn't have you know obviously we didn't have the internet. We didn't have you know, all the things that, that, you know, the kids have today. So having that kind of experience really, you know, was the only way music sort of got passed from hand to hand. Uh-huh. and It's how you got exposed to stuff. And, um, so, you know, I just happened to be sitting next to this guy, um, you know, who was playing this really crazy heavy metal music I never heard of in my life. And, 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 uh, You know, and that was my, you know, sitting out in front of the civic center was kind of like my first exposure to, you know, that whole underground thing that, you know, you know. And so Uh, uh, leading up to The Living Room, uh, the first show I ever saw at The Living Room was a band called Merciful Fate. Okay. Which was like a European black metal band. You know, I mean, nobody in the United States was doing anything like that. And yeah, it was, you know, and you couldn't get the music. You know, I happened to, you know, again, I, this kid happened to just have a tape of it and he, you know, played it for me. And I was like, wow, that's cool. And then, you know, that was it after that. I was hooked. You fast forward a couple of months and I'm back at the Civic Center. I run into the same kid and I was like, hey, how the hell do you get all this stuff? Oh, okay. Where do you get these cassettes? You know, we're listening to cassettes, <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, yeah. You get them? You know, you can't walk into Strawberries and buy that. You yeah, know, somewhat European in black. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not going to get any of that, right? So, so he tells me about Sam's Records tapes and stuff. You ever hear of Sam's? Yeah, yep. So, Sam's Records tapes and stuff. It was, you know, this little tiny place in, out in the middle of, you know, Cranston, Warwick. And uh, it yeah. was the only place that sold the stuff. Only place. That wow. Sold. And I walked in there and, and then, you know, the whole, that whole entire thing just opened up from there. It was like, you know, being a kid in a candy shop, right? Yeah, I
2: love that. That's awesome.
0: And um, uh, I bought uh I bought Metallica there, Kill Em All, original copy of Kill 'em all. And sweet. um yeah. That was it. That was the album. That was the album. <laughs> yeah. I listened I listened to that album and I said, Wow, uh, yeah, I don't know what I want to do with my life, but it has to have something to do with this. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, what was that that next
2: step? Like when um I mean, it seems like you've been booking shows forever now. Uh, what, uh, what was that, that first step into to doing that? Or do you remember the first show you booked?
0: Yeah, well, what happened was, um, and this is where wrestling comes into play again. I, I actually, uh, by this time now, I was at Rhode Island College wrestling there. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my teammates um, was also at the radio station. He was into music as well. And uh, so he suggested that I go to the radio station and maybe, you know, work up there and, you know, become a DJ. And, okay. uh, and so, you know, I, I went and checked that out. And uh, it just so happened that Dr. Metal was there at that time uh, before he got his job at HJY. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I wasn't there maybe a month. And then all of a sudden, you know, the doc gets this call. And he's gonna go become a big DJ at HJY, and somebody needed to take over the heavy metal department at the college radio station. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and that was me. And um, and then the the first thing I learned about college radio is is that, um, you know, it was important to record labels that college radio was around because you <laughs> we were playing stuff that the HJYs of the world wouldn't play. Yeah, so, exactly. I suddenly realized really quickly that, you know, I was kind of valuable to these guys. Right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And,
0: uh, so I started asking for things. And one of the first things I thought of doing was interviewing the bands. Oh, okay. And, um, so like having uh, them come into the studio, like when they're on tour or, whatever. or, or better yet, getting free tickets to the show. And oh, then okay. Go to, <laughs> and going to interview them, you know, on the tour bus, you know, backstage, yeah. you know, whatever, you. you know, and, um, and, and so that was kind of uh that was the next step, you know, I started kind of getting in with all the bands and interviewing mm-hmm. them and, you know, um, I started learning a lot about, you know, now I'm at the living room all the time by this point, um, you know, almost every night sometimes. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I just started kind of learning about the inner workings of, you know, what actually happens in a show and, you know, how it all kind of falls into place, you know? And yeah, I just knew that I was getting more and more addicted to it. And, um, I was subsequently working on networking through all the record labels too. So I, 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 I thought I was going to go to New York city and, and, you know, start working at record labels and working my way up. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and that certainly was on the table at that time too, but I ended up because, you know, I, because I was, I think, I think you noticed already. I was, I also, you know, I've also had a career as a, as a, um, as a nightclub promoter and, you know, an an owner, you know, Club Hell was a nightclub first before before it was a live band venue. And uh, so I had already kind of started doing these, these college dance party kind of things that were going uh, pretty well. And we were doing those at the living room as well. So, you know, I was actually making, you know, pretty good money for 1988, 87, you know, uh, yeah. Doing these college yeah. Yeah. yeah, just doing these college parties. And uh so I um after I found out what my first salary was gonna be to run Metal Blade Records on the East Coast, I, I decided to stay in Providence. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah. It was like, yeah, okay, I could go to New York City and really struggle, you know. Yeah, and, uh, you know. So and then so I was essentially my first business with Randy at the living room was actually doing these college parties. Okay. And how right. did that
2: work? How was it working with Randy and like, what was the,
0: well, Randy loved it because, you know, we were bringing in 500 college kids once every six weeks, you know, that would yep. you know, drink the bar like crazy. And, you know, um, so he, you know, he really liked us and really liked what we were doing for him. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and it really got my foot in the door there, you know, and, you know, I, that's, you know, where it started to kind of become family for me. Um, okay. You know, and then uh, accidentally, see the thing about the living room back then was um, you had the living room, you had Lupo's, you, you might've had another places, a couple of small players around town, but you didn't have a lot of, a lot of venues to go to. Yeah. So um, it was hard for bands to get in there to play. And it was, and it was hard. It was hard. You, you know, the living room didn't need, you know, a college kid named Psycho to go in there and book shows for them. You know, they, they already yeah. had, you know, everything, you know, really, you know, they already had everything pretty pretty much on lockdown. So, um, you know, the, the idea of actually booking a show probably didn't cross my mind um, at all at the beginning. I was just, you know, maybe making suggestions when I could. You know, Randy was really good at picking your brain. Oh, okay. You know, he was like, really good at... Yeah. Like, yeah.
2: finding out, like, what's the new bands?
0: like yeah, he know, was like, really yeah. good. He he really paid it. One thing that I, I, I got from him over the years that I, I, I've i always held on to was um, he realized how important, you know, the youth was. Mm-hmm. You know, he realized that, you know, it's the, it's the young kids that drive the market and, you know, and really kind of decide who the bands are and who they're not, you know, and so he he, no matter, it didn't matter to him that, you know, you might have been a, you know, 17-year-old high school kid or a you know 18-year-old college freshman if you had something good to say about a band he would listen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you know, and that's what happened. I I actually I was really really good friends with a band called Manowar. Uh okay. who were doing pretty well and yeah. um, so Manowar comes to Lupos and uh so naturally I go because I'm going to interview the band, right? And I'm going to you know hang out and you know, so I'm on the tour bus with them after the show, and I'm like, you know, guys, what, you know, why are you playing Lupo's, man? You know, none of the metal shows go to Lupo's. You know, you're going to, you know, they were a little disappointed about the numbers and partially because nobody knew the show was there. Oh, uh, okay. Again, it was a time when, you know, it wasn't like you could just text everybody. <laughs> you know, hey, the <laughs> yeah, show's in yeah, this weird work. place, you know? So uh, what ended up happening was, um, and so, this is when you know,
2: the living room was uh, down, like the bubble living room, right?
0: When yeah, so the bubble window living room was happening. And Lupo's yeah. was still where Lupo's was originally at the top of Westminster. Yeah. And so, you know, on the bus, I, I said to the guys, I was like, man, you guys got to play the living room. Then, you know, then, you know, that's that'll be a packed show, you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they were like, well, you know, but, you know, Psycho, we can't get into the living room. We've tried and tried. Rainy won't give us a date. So I said, well, I said, what I said, what do you you know, why don't you guys give me a shot, see if I can get you into the living room. I bet you I can. So, you know, we exchanged information and mm-hmm. I went to go see Randy. I was like, Randy, you're gonna book this band. Mm-hmm. You know? And he was like, Really? You think it's gonna be a good show? I'm like, Yeah, I'm telling you, you you put the show in the room, I'll promote it for free. And if it doesn't sell out, I'll be shocked. Yeah. So, so Randy, Randy did. Randy, you know, called him up. You know, back then you could call a band at home and, and, you know, and the mother would answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
3: Oh, hey, hands he the phone. It's psycho! <laughs> <laughs> you know? I love that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so the next thing you know, uh, Man of War plays the living room, sells the place out. Mm-hmm. And uh, Randy comes and finds me at the end of the night and actually gives me a couple of dollars. You know, he's thrilled. He's on, you know, top of the world. Randy was a, you know, Randy was a big personality and when he was happy i mean it was just you could just you know, the whole room was you know lit up you know yeah uh, so and, you know you could tell and and so he comes and finds me at the end of the night and you know all this stuff and you know kid any suggestions you have and and i don't know what made me do it to be honest with you i just without missing a beat i just said well why don't you just let me book some shows uh-huh and he took a step back for a second and he's, you know, and his response was typical. He was like, kid, he goes, nobody books the living room. You know, we, we, do that ourselves. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I, I hear you, Randy. I go, but you know, I'm already doing your college parties for you. And you know, here's a show and you know, I'm just asking, I go, it's okay if I can't, you know? Mm-hmm. And then about a week later, two weeks later, he called me up and he says, okay, here's the rules. You can't book anything we're already going to book. You can only come here and come to the office, look on the calendar, and if there's a Monday open or a Tuesday open, you know, you can fill that. Yeah. And that's, that's literally how I got my start. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Some of it was just dumb luck, I guess, really. You know, it was just having the passion to want to do it. and Yeah. You know, in the right place at the right time and getting really lucky. I mean, Randy, you know, God rest his soul to this day. I mean, uh, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if it wasn't for him. I really uh, truly believe that let me break it to fast back Yeah, so, so what happened was, you know, uh, the the nightclub stuff started to really take off, and um, we got this bright idea, me and my partner, that, okay, you know, maybe we should bring it to a legitimate dance club and see if it, you know, see how that works, you know? Okay. And so we initially got o- ended up at Confetti because, you know, we brought, you know, the aspect of that, you know, Thursday night college dance party over there. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure enough, it ended up, you know, um, that that owner was the guy that uh, he wasn't good for much, but there were some things that he, he taught me along the way. And and one of the things that he did for us is he talked us into doing it every week, Okay, know, which for us at the time was preposterous. It was like, what are you, crazy? We need like five weeks to promote this thing. You know, yeah. it's a show. Like, you know, we promoted them like shows. You know, it was like a college. Oh, okay. It was like a college keg party, really. It <laughs> you know, something we yeah. just did indoors. So, You know, uh, at first we were very resistant to it, but he convinced us that, you know, you know, if you put 500 people in a room long enough, you know, other people are going to come. And, and, you know, uh, and he was right that we, you know, we learned a valuable lesson about how nightclubs work and, you know, how, you know, people get people, you know, and it's, it's really the only intangible is that you just got to, you need to create the illusion that that's the place that people want to go. Yeah. You know, when people go. So, you know, that's that's kind of what ended up happening there. We ended up moving uh, the college dance party stuff over to over to uh, confetti uh, under the idea that we would still do. uh, um, We would still do one every now and then at the living room. You know, that was part of of the deal that we made with with, with the confetti guy. And then the living room closed. Yeah. The living room closed around 1990. And um, so you know, and then by this time now, you know, we were at least, a, at least two years in two, two and a half years in at confetti doing every night, every, well, every week. Yeah. Uh, so we were in pretty you know tight over there at that point. And, and he didn't have anything going on on a Sunday and, you know, and I didn't have a place to do shows now. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, we just came up with this bright idea that we'd once a week, we would take these stages and set them up on in the middle of the dance floor and, and, and have shows, you know? Oh, wow. And, okay. And, and there was just nothing going on. Again, it, it's something that worked then, you know, because, you know, there was nothing going on and, and kids were starving for it. So, yeah. Um, you know, we started telling people we're doing, you know, shows, you know, confetti and people started coming. That's know? cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, wild. it seems like it had some,
2: you know, some great names that came through there and stuff. Um, so, it's
0: interesting. Um. And yeah, it's funny. I mean, I didn't do anything too giant over there, but, you know, it, it's still, you know, there's still some shows I did there that even I don't remember that, you know, some you know, people come up to me sometimes and go, I remember when that band played. And it's like. Yeah, yeah. I forgot I did that. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's something from, like, you know, Drop Dead playing there. You know, yeah. just yeah, just, just names that you might not put together with, like.
0: It was actually, this, you know, that actually, it's interesting because I think what happened at Confetti 2, um, was I, I think I had a little more freedom to do, um, to put more local stuff on a, on, on stage, you know, again, yeah. the room, the living room essentially had a national act on stage almost virtually every night. Yeah. And, you know, and and if you were a local band that actually got your own show uh, you really had to put people in the room mm-hmm. in order for, in order for that to happen, you know? Um, and I'm talking about the bubble window, you know, living room. I think, you know, that kind of changed a little bit once the, the third one opened. Yeah. But the, you know, be, you know, coming out of the late 80s into into the early 90s, um, you know, I think, uh, um, if anything, the local bands didn't quite have enough stages to play on.
2: I got you. Yeah. And
0: uh, so, you know, um, Confetti kind of sort of became that, you know, because obviously I wasn't looking for nationals, you know, every single Sunday. Yeah. And so we started just putting these really cool local shows together. So bands like Drop Dead, uh, there was a band called Freak Show. Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I booked their first show when they were kids. I mean, you know, they're still (laughs) great friends with me today. And, and, you know, they, you know, um, showed up, a bunch of 16-year-old kids showed up and just absolutely packed the room, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, like, you know, so a lot of those local bands sort of you know, that's kind of where, you know, almost like kind of where the local scene sort of started to take off a little. And then subsequently, you know, you know, Babyhead was kind of starting to come around. Yeah. You know, and, and 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 they, too, were, um, you know, uh, because especially because they were a little bit more punk and hardcore oriented, less metal, more punk and hardcore. And, uh-huh. you know, and that scene had a lot, um, you know, uh, facilitated opportunities for locals to play. Yeah. You know, so I think that's where you kind of started to see, you know, probably somewhere around 90, somewhere between 90 and 94, you really started to see uh, the value of local bands getting on stage all the time and playing. Yeah. um, You know, that's, you know, kind of to me where it kind of took off, you know? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. So how long were you uh, doing shows at Confetti and like, what was your next step after that? I mean,
0: that only lasted, that only lasted a few years, um, we ended up having to fall out with that guy. We had to get out of there. Okay. And, um, so we ended up eventually, we ended up at shooters, um, doing our yeah. dance night stuff there. That's when, you know, that's when our nightclub stuff really took off. We just got huge at shooters, you know, cause we could put, you know, 1500 people in the room. Wow. Uh, okay. So, you know, that really started to take off and, and I, and there was, you know, probably, uh, you know, I would say there was probably a good year or two where I really I wasn't booking anything. I mean, Babyhead was already up and running; they had their own guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I you know I didn't feel like I I wanted to walk in there and you know go hey give me a show. It, it just you know it just at the time I it just would it wasn't right. I was I was enjoying going there and I was happy yeah. that you know people were happy to see me and you know like go <laughs> there and see a show you know and there was. We all know you know how many shows you know tremendous shows happen to go that way too I mean uh baby had had that moment in time where they were the only place doing shows so mm-hmm. you know if you wanted to play Rhode Island that's where you play it and I mean that you know they had some months months of shows every once in a while you see those calendars still pop up on on Facebook or whatever and you just yeah like, you know, you just like, How yeah. the hell? like, holy shit, you know, yeah, like the,
2: then, the calendars from like the new paper or whatever, you yeah, know, that I like, to have that every album. day after day, it was like, yeah. yeah,
0: you know, and then, uh, and then the, the second Lupo's opened, uh, somewhere around 94 mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, so then, you know, that's kind of where we met Rich and, um, mm-hmm. you know, we moved our dance party over there. and. Uh, you know, next thing I know, I had a place to, you know, maybe do a show or two. Um, okay. And has this all
2: been under the intrinsic you know, so, name? But
0: it, no, I didn't I didn't come up with intrinsic until, uh, you know, we, oh. I actually, me and my college buddy had a, we called uh dance body um, Lounge Lizard Presents. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So we were Lounge Lizard Presents for like the longest time. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, you know. And then, you know, and, and like, I, uh, again, I, I ran right around that time, I, I would say, you know, from 92 to, you know, through the mid 2000s, um, I, you know, I, that was like the longest gap of time I, I took away from live music. I actually, I didn't, probably didn't book a show for well over 10 years. Oh, okay. You know, I was still going to shows. I was still, you know, at least, you know, in the scene a little bit, being at Lupo's all the time and working there. Uh, yeah, but I just didn't book anything, you know, and I sort mm-hmm. of, um, you know, I, I missed it. You know, I, I didn't realize how much I mean, I opened up Club Hell and Club Hell was so big. I I just spent that time, you know, I decided to spend that time, uh, you know, being a nightclub promoter and a nightclub owner.
2: Yeah. Well, what and, brought you back to that? I mean, that seems like a, a pretty well, big thing from going from, you know, a bunch of time not booking shows to. I'm going to go own a club, you
0: know? Yeah. Well, so what happened was, um, you know, uh, ironically, and I say this because of where I am now, uh, the Century Lounge closed. Yeah. So the Century Lounge closed and uh, Jack Rich, who, you know, was booking all the shows for uh, Lupo at the time, uh, was in a panic because he needed a place to do, he needed a small room to, for that, that scale. Somebody these yeah. shows to yeah. that he already had booked on the table. So his intention was to just find a spot in an emergency to try to get some shows done. And um, again, I, I just seized that opportunity. And, and you know, I, my partners weren't huge fans of live music. And for the longest time, they just didn't want to have it in Club Hell. And it was probably the right decision because, you know, Hell was doing great without it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was just that perfect time again where – you know, some of our dance nights were starting to fall off. The place was starting to look a little shabby. You know, I got this guy, Jack Rich, now that's desperate to put shows in a room somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I convinced everybody that, you know what, maybe Club Hell should be at least part time, should be a live band venue. Yeah. And uh we struck a deal and um and then all of, next thing you know, you know, hell started doing shows. Yeah, okay. So uh and then uh and that was that was my you know, I guess my second or third moment of levity, I I think, um, I I had realized I had missed it, uh, didn't realize how much I missed it till I stood in my room and watched the band play for the first time. And, you know, I'll never forget watching some show. There was some local band playing. I don't even know what it was. And, and I'm the only one in the room. I mean, the show did lousy and I'm just standing there watching the band. And apparently I was, you know, I was smiling and, watching the band and and my bartender comes up to me and uh, I can see him staring at me out of the corner of my eye and I'm like looking you know I'm like you know what are you looking at you know and uh and she was like you know what she goes what the hell are you smiling at (laughs) (laughs) and I didn't even realize I was doing it I was just kind of like well I, I like the band you know And then, you know, I I realized that uh, and and well, what she said to me was, you know, she goes, I see you in here night after night with 400 people in the room. I haven't seen you smile like this in two years. Mm -hmm. And uh, and she walked away. That's all she said. And I didn't really think nothing of it until I went home that night. And it occurred to me that um, she was right. You know, it's just, you know, as, as successful as hell was by the time year 10 or 11 came around, I was pretty much burnt out on it. And, you know.
3: Yeah.
0: You know, suddenly standing in a room with three people, you know, watching this great local band play all of a sudden, you know, lifted my spirits so much that I, I realized I needed to get back in it.
3: Yeah.
2: After club hell, what's, um, was the, the next step from there?
0: And, yeah. So, uh, so hell, I basically had about four years at hell though. So the last four years at hell, you know, we started doing this band thing. Yeah. And, um, and then the living room, the third living room, closed during that time, and so suddenly Club Hell actually had about a year to a year and a half where you know we were the only game in town, and then all of a sudden you know the next thing you know you know we're just getting you know show after show, Dinosaur Jr., High on Fire, you know the Street Dogs. I mean, I mean you know you just name you know name it, and you know just you know bands were just piling in, yeah, and and so. Unfortunately, you know, it, it finally came to an end in, in eleven, and uh, by that time, I had the I had the bug back, right? I'm just like, yeah. there's no way I'm giving this up now. You know, I finally got back into it. I got to figure out something to do. Yeah. So, um, my immediate response was to go right upstairs above me. Uh, by this time, jerkies had been sold and um, PDD Social Club opened.
3: Yeah.
0: Which was the incarnation of. Um, of Jim Vickers, uh, from motif. Uh, mm-hmm. he was a motif guy. And, um, so I was up there for, you know, briefly, cause I mean, everybody knows, you know, what happened, you know, <laughs> you know, with, uh, you know, with that guy and, and, and the bars he ran. So, uh, it wasn't a good situation. Um, and I ended up having to get out of there. Mm-hmm. and uh, So, uh, by a stroke of luck, I happened to have, a band called the casualties at the time was really big and I had them booked for PVD social club. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, somehow I caught wind that, uh, Lizzy was running the firehouse and, uh, she was, you know, a good friend of mine from the Lupo's days. Okay. And, and, uh, so I reached out to her. I said, Lizzie, you know, I, I don't know if you got the space, but I got some shows and she was, you know, thrilled, thrilled to have me come along. So, Mm -hmm. Uh my first show was the casualties there and you know, so I mean absolutely sold the place out beyond yeah. beyond the week, you know. And the only thing I was bummed out about was is I couldn't get any better from there. And then any other <laughs> show after that was a disappointment, right? <laughs> <laughs>
2: you know, yeah, you're supposed to build up to that. Job.
0: Yeah, leave it to me <laughs> to put a you know, first show sold out. It's very yeah. good See you later. Yeah. We don't need you anymore. But uh so that's that's kinda how that's kinda how the firehouse started and um you know, I, I put a few shows to Firehouse and then I learned all about, the you know, the FET thing. Yeah. And, um, You know, Don King was still involved with that at the time, you know, both places actually. And, you know, Don, again, is a, you know, person I had known for a long time. And um so one thing led to another and, you know, I started putting some shows in at FET too and a few shows uh-huh. at Firehouse. And, you know, eventually uh that went on for a couple of years and then eventually the opportunity came up for me to, take over firehouse, which should pretty much outside of the shows I was doing in the room, they weren't really doing a lot. Okay. They got this idea that, well, you know, if you're interested in maybe running it full time, maybe you could, you know, save it or, you know, do something, you know, maybe, you know, turn it into something else.
3: Yeah.
0: So, you know, that's kind of how that all came about. So the next thing I know, I'm, I'm, you know, managing firehouse and putting all the shows in the room. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, and then uh, by that time, you know, uh, Wendy came along and uh, we started becoming an item. And, you know, she was dying to you know, uh, get involved too. So uh, that's, you know, we became partners in business before we became partners in life, really.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You
0: know? and at first, I was kind of resistant to it. I was like, ah, you know, I don't know. I'm just kind of just got started. Let me, you know, and then, uh, of course, she wouldn't let me off the hook. So I'm running Firehouse. Yeah, He's I was like, fine, yeah. you know, do it with you know, one, of the best yeah. decisions, one of the best decisions I ever made. She's, she's great. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so, uh, and you know, so that's how, you know, Firehouse came about. And then, you know, I was faced with that was the first time probably ever that I was faced with a situation where I'm staring at a 30 day calendar and I have to figure out, you know, how to fill it. Yeah. You know, even, you know, through all the years at the living room and everything else, I mean, my shows were pretty much kind of like, you know, the, the whole mechanics of the outside promoter, right? You know, find, yeah. a, find a date that's open, rent the room, get the band, you know, do the show. And, you know, so uh, Firehouse was a great opportunity for me because it was, it was the first place that I actually got to just sit there and go, OK, you know, I got to, you know put 30 dates in the calendar or close to it anyway. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's where you really learn, you know, know, I mean, it, it, none of it's easy, but you know, as a promoter doing a show once a month, it's still, it's so much different, you know, than, you know, when you're worrying about 25 shows and, uh, and the economy that goes with that and how you balance it off. And, you know, does it make sense for the venue? I mean, that's, Always the toughest part, especially now, I mean, you know, um, you know, as we all know, uh, you know, I think the music scene on a live level is for you know of various different reasons, it's just you know not as lucrative as as it once was, so um yeah, kids, you know, kids aren't automatically just go into a show because they're fifteen, you know
3: yeah
2: yeah their attention seems to be in a lot of different places <laughs> or they're discovering music in different ways because yeah i mean for me growing up it was uh, a place called the espresso bar in worcester where it was like i was either playing a show or i was there hanging out watching shows but that's how i like what you were talking about the civic center experience was like this is where people would tell me what bands to check out and and it was just the whole social network of that and it just uh, it's much different these days, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, with with Firehouse, I mean, what comes to mind is just how, just how much that place meant for the the local Rhode Island music scene. Um, you know, there were just a lot of, uh, of bands that were coming through there, and there just like you were kind of even just talking about some of the opportunity that wasn't there at certain points in in the Providence scene, but Firehouse was that place. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Of some of the, uh, the bands that were coming through, and, and who you were working with?
0: You know, Firehouse went through some really strange ups and downs. You know, yeah, okay. Uh, for for whatever you know, whatever the reasons are, you know. Uh, and so, every time somebody new came into the place, the personality of the room changes, right? Mm-hmm. It's got their forte and their things that they think they're good at, and. By the time I took it over, like I said, it was pretty much empty. I mean, it was, you know, a smattering of shows happening. But, you know, the heyday that it had just had before that with the Roz Raskins of the world had already kind of gone by. And it, yeah. you know, they, they had done a bunch of stuff. And, not you know, not to anybody's fault, uh, um, you know, as far as the bands go or, the, or even the promoters that were working there. It was just, you know, what the ownership group decided to do. You know, it was essentially – it's essentially – been a place where you know the ownership group decides to pull a plug when they want to okay you know and it just you know what i mean and then it, it just goes from there you know maybe it's financial maybe it's they have different ideas of what they want to do with it and then you know the next thing you know you know they're reopening it under with somebody else and hoping that for a different result so yeah you know, that's why you that's why the history of ios is so erratic mm-hmm. you know? uh and, and it still is uh, you know, considering that it's it still potentially might be something down the road. But um, so, you know, so naturally when I took it over, you know, I, I pretty much brought the punk element back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the room definitely screams out, you know, punk rock. And, yeah. uh, you know, so, you know, I, uh, it was, it was punk, it was metal. And, you know, I certainly, um, I'm not a one trick pony, you know, I mean, we we're bringing in other stuff. Uh, it's just, you know, what's interesting is, is a lot of times the other stuff really wasn't um, getting as much notice. Uh, maybe, yeah. Maybe because, you know, my finger on that community wasn't as strong as it needed to be. Uh, but, you know, so, you know, my tenure there, you know, was only about three years, but it seemed like, uh, you know, we sort of got pigeonholed into this punk metal room. But I think that was the only thing we were getting recognized for. We were doing a lot of stuff there. Okay. Uh, We did David J there from, you know, um, know, Bar House and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that was hands down one of the greatest things I ever did, I think. Yeah. And, and, you know, people came, you know, and people recognized that it was there. But sometimes you just can't get – you can't get – you know, past what you know, people are gonna stereotype you for. But yeah, I mean, we did. I mean, you know, at least in the punk scene, I mean, we just had anybody who was anybody mm-hmm. played played. You know, the firehouse in that three years. That's right. Or uh, your big hardcore bands. And, but you know, sometimes those. You know, sometimes. You know, the the shows that mean mean the most to you are, are the ones that you know aren't necessarily the most rewarding financially. You yeah. know, sometimes you just do a show, yes. and, you know, because of the nature of the, you know, uh, because of the, you know, who the person is that's getting on stage. Like, you know, every time I do Richie Ramone, it's a big deal. Yeah.
3: Yeah. You know,
0: And when you realize that, you know, who's on stage playing music, especially when he's doing the songs he wrote. Yeah. You know, and, and you're listening to a Ramone song and you're like, shit, this is one of the Ramones, you know, and it's, <laughs> you know, and, and he's such a great guy and it's, 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 you know, such an important um Piece of history, I, you know. I, I, he, he's one of those guys, and I say this all the time to people. I, you know, I would lose money on him every time.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, if he, if he asked me for the next ten years to book him once a year at a place, I'll find a place for him and book it, just because I just, it, it's just more about the spirit, uh, spirit of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think, and I think you still need to have that. I mean, I know there's some people, some of my peers. Yeah, we'll disagree with that, you know, because let's face it, it is a business and everybody's trying to make money. But I I don't think I've ever lost sight of the fact that deep down inside, I'm still a 16-year-old kid that heard music for the first time walking by center stage on my way to work, you know, and and, and I don't think I've ever lost that in some way. So sometimes, you know, I just do stuff because I think it's important on a spiritual level, you know. You know, and it's no different than, you know, going back to Randy, it's no, I mean, Randy had no business at all or no need, let's say to, you know, give some 19 year old college kid a chance at a show. I mean, he, he didn't need to do that, you know, and, and because of that, I think that's part of his legacy, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that that's the kind of thing that I know, you know, uh, Gregory certainly tries, you know, and, uh you know i try to pass that on you know i try to pay that forward every time i i do a show you know if i have some kid you know hits me up for a show and i can figure out a way to get him in the room you know i have no idea if anybody's coming yeah uh, especially nowadays you know it's not as easy to you know it's not as easy to open up your room to something that might not make any money especially when you're scraping every dollar together to try to keep it open yeah I, I feel like I feel like if we don't do that sometimes and I'm talking about we, the people that are in charge, I, I think we'll, you know, eventually, you know, you, you will see this, this thing die. Cause sometimes it's, it's gotta be about, you know, how do you keep the scene going? And, and it can't always be about every dollar. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's just going to be about the fact that there's a musician, there's a kid that's a musician and he's dying to get his music out there to some people and and he needs a place to do it in and you got to do it yeah to me me, that's the biggest thing randy left me with and and it's certainly till uh, you know till i stop doing it i i will always try to remember that and and pay that forward
2: But yeah, can you talk uh, how uh, Askew came about, and um, yeah, just talk about your experience with the club there? Yeah, well,
0: Askew itself, uh, you know, the concept of it all, and you know, uh, you know, the, that literally, you know, kind of came out of Winsong's head um, mm-hmm. after Firehouse. I, you know, actually was, um, you know, uh, not burnt out necessarily, or you know, I, I you know, I just. Uh, I don't, I, I don't know if I was really that anxious and, and, you know, just to get right back into another project right away. That, that was, you know, um, you know, a lot of stuff, that, you know, again, that went on there and, you know, it was kind of, by the time I got out of there, I was a little bit, you know, dismayed with, you know, with how things were going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did move over to, uh, to Alchemy. Uh, You know, I was fortunate that um, my buddy Davey gave me an opportunity to put some shows there and, um, you know, yep. that's also become a very important part of, um, you know, of, of our lives now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, so uh it was great to be able to move over there immediately and, you know, at least get stuck, getting some shows into the room. And then along, the you know, it, it didn't take one song long. <laughs> Next thing I know, she's dragging me into the old century <laughs> lounge and saying, look, babe, this is the spot, you know. And, yeah. Uh, I have to give her a lot of credit at the time. I was actually general managing, um, the gym I was working at. So I was general managing a gold's gym. Okay. uh, You know, so I was like, you know, uh, my basic response was, well, babe, you know, I'll help you. I'll put some shows in the room and this is great and good luck. And if you need any help, I'll give it to you. But you know, this is yours. So run with it, you know? Yeah. And, um, so, and, and, you know, and she did, you know, she got it up and running and got started. And it just seemed to make sense that, uh, you know, Wendy was going to need a little bit of help, and and uh, also, you know, uh, as usual, uh, the, you know, the the Gold's Gym, which I had you know worked at for over twenty years, the uh, the owner ended up getting sick unexpectedly and, and passing away, and uh, so um, that ownership had changed. I didn't like the new ownership, and you know, so it just seemed like again the the stars just aligned, and you know the. Um, the music gods, if you will, just keep pulling me back into this thing. So uh-huh. I, uh, you know, so, and that's kind of what happened. So finally I was like, you know what, Wendy, yeah, sure. Let me kind of jump on board with this and help you. And, but you know, the 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 creativity of it all, especially, you know, from a non-music point of view is, you know, essentially all wind win song. I mean, she just yeah. has so many great ideas and, you know, so many different things that she does. You, yeah. know, from, you know, from the comedy stuff to, uh, you know, the book readings to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just all the different things that we've done already, you know, um, it, it gives us a lot of versatility. The room allows us to do that kind of stuff. And it's nice that we don't necessarily have to rely on music every single night to be open. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, we, we you know, we both want it to be an important factor of the room. And, and I think, um, you know, I think we have, I think, I think we've you know done a good job in a short period of time establishing ourselves as a, a room that can be counted on to do some good live shows and have some good bands on stage. And um, we're certainly going to continue to do that, you know? Yeah. One of the things that I like about this room is, especially, you know, being a restaurant as well, uh, we have a little more room for other creative marketing ideas, uh, which we were just kind of starting on. Um, you know, before this whole COVID thing hit, but, you know, just the, the idea of, you know, being able to, you know, have uh, downloadable music available on the tables for diners that are sitting there. And, you know, so if you're, if you're sitting there eating one of our, you know, meals and, and, you know, Eric and the nothing comes on over the house system and you're curious as to who that is, you know, you can, flip through the, you know, those, those cards, you know, the, with, the weird, oh, okay. yep. with the weird markings on them, you know, and, and, you, you know, you can find, you know, the Eric and the nothing album and, and you can download it, you know, maybe you'd, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Wendy's in the background going, it's a QR code. Cool.
1: QR codes.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> QR, QR. <laughs> I don't need to know yeah. the of them. I just know what they do.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so, you know, the, um, you know, there's just, there's so many of those different things that, you know, we were just kind of starting to get into, which, you know, o- almost certainly all the house music is always, you know, always the local artists. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, uh, for whatever little bit it helps them on Spotify, at least we're playing it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we're trying to, you know, do all these other little extra things that we can do besides just putting the band on stage. You know, uh-huh. to, you know, to, just to try to help with exposure and and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, we we were just getting ready to tie in, you know, some dinner special kind of things with, you know, if you came in and you um, you came for dinner, and uh, we would have like a featured local artist on, you know, playing again. Maybe we're we're playing the new record, yeah. And, you know, and if you bought the record, uh, you would get, you know. 15% off your meal or something like that. Okay. You know, just, you know, just little weird, little cross-marketing things like that that just yeah. might just, you know, get the movement going a little bit more, you know, it's mm-hmm. not, you know, the same old stuff, you know, you know, uh, you know, band's playing, you come see it, then you go home, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, we're trying to make it so that, it, you know, it's, it's in the room all the time.
3: You know, yeah, people yeah. have
0: opportunities to experience it all the time. And what's cool about that is, you know, is we have a bunch of people that come in that have never seen a band in the room. You know, okay. they're only, you know, they're only there to eat because they happen to work, you know, downtown and, you yeah. know, they, they would have never seen the band or known about them if they didn't hear it on the, the house system. Right. I got you. So, yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: You know, so it, that's, that's awesome. You know, it's like when I get to sell that CD to somebody that, would have never known who the band was mm-hmm. you know, to me that's you know you, you're doing your job a little bit you know yeah. as, as somebody who's trying to work and exist within the scene itself it, at least you're, you're you're helping to push it along a little even if it's just one cd that was sold it's one more than was sold before and it's somebody yeah. somewhere in the state now is listening to it yeah you know that's just not part of the cool kids that come to the show right <laughs> but, you yeah. know now they got the record you know yeah have, uh, I think that's
2: great but I mean, yeah. even with that, what comes to mind is that I, I know you had done um, some listening parties for some yep. album release, you know, so like still just staying active and, and you know, opening your room for for that. Um,
0: yeah, the listening that party, good. the listening party was something, you know, I just took that page out of the 80s, you know, when yeah. you know, that's that's, you know, that's what you know, listening parties were happening back then when I was a kid, you know, when I was in college radio and, you know, the record label would call me up and go, Hey, you know, Ace Frehley's putting out a record. You want to come down and have some free beers and, you know, listen to the record and meet some people. And, you know, uh, you know, there might even be some food left if you get there on time, you know, know, and and you would go and, and, you know, again, you had an opportunity to meet uh, other like-minded people in the scene and, you know, you got to hear the record and, and you know, mm-hmm. and so, you know, when the whole COVID thing started and I realized we couldn't put anybody on stage, I sort of, I was just kind of brainstorming about what to do. And I was like, you know, I wonder if I brought these back, if they would make sense, you mm-hmm. know, and, um, and we did a bunch of them and, uh, you know, we, we kind of pulled back on it for a little bit and, 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 but, um, it's one of the things that we are going to bring back once we're back up and running, regardless of whether or not the band actually wants to play a show for their record release. Uh, I think the yep. listening parties are something that we could do um, you know, on off times. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? You could get a bunch of people to come out, you know, get all your all your friends together and and you know, we'll we'll throw some dinner special and we'll come and 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 let everybody come around sit and listen to the record. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and then why don't you get on stage and talk about the record a little bit? I mean, I feel yeah. like, you know, that, that especially, I used to love listening to the band and having them tell me how they came up with different ideas. And, yeah. you know, for a guy like me who's not a music, you know, I'm not a musician. Not, I don't have that, you know, ability. But, you know, so it intrigues me, Yeah. you know, when you know, to listen to a musician, you know, in a band, tell me how they came up with a concept and how they put it yeah. together. I mean, I find that fascinating, you know? So... I'm um, sure it
2: still think, goes back to the interviews as a college radio DJ. I'm yeah, with you too. Exactly. I just want to know, like, tell me more about this stuff.
0: You know? yeah, yeah. And I think the whole listening party thing is a lost art that, um, you know, I, I'm going to be very adamant about, you know, bringing back, you know, once the time is right.
3: And,
2: yeah.
0: Know. I think it's a great
2: idea. Yeah. yeah I think, I think that there's, cool. um, yeah, I mean, keeping with what you've been up to with, with the SKU, you know, in the end of last year, like Early fall, uh, you were doing outdoor shows. You know how was how was that for you guys, and is that something that you're going to be shooting to bring back? Yeah, uh, I, 2021 I think um, when it I think, warms up a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think I think uh, if I had to read it right, and I, I think I've done a pretty good job of kind of figuring out, you know, what the government was going to decide to do <laughs> from from day to day, um, you know, besides some curveballs you just didn't see coming. But if I had to read it right, I'm going to guess that you know, we're not out of the woods yet uh, as far as, you know, being able to safely let people back into the bars full blast. And yeah. I, I think, I don't think we'll see that through March. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, what they'll probably do is they'll probably wait for the weather to break and then go, okay, everybody back outside. Yeah. You know? So I think you're going to see, I think you're going um, to see that happen sooner than, than, you know, last year by the time they, Everything was a reaction, right, last year. So by the yeah. time we letting people do that, it was almost almost half the summer was gone. Yeah. You know, I think this year, everybody's going to be able to come right out of the gate and, and and do it, you know, almost as soon as the weather breaks. So I think you're going to see a pretty vibrant, you know, music scene downtown and outside, you know, for most of this year.
3: Yeah.
0: And, you know, and I think um, that'll kind of hold everybody over until fall. And, and, you know, let's face it, hopefully by fall, You know, we can actually go back inside and do a legitimate show without having to worry about it too much, you know, Mm -hmm. hope anyway. So but I think, yeah, I think the summer is going to be full of outdoor stuff and we're certainly ready to go. You know, yeah, Uh, we're ready to get it going Uh, on a national level. um, You know, I had a lot of different agents reach out to me. I got a lot of uh, stuff plugged into the calendar for touring bands, uh, mostly in October. Yeah. Uh, it seems like it seems like that's where everybody's thinking it's going to it's going to change a little. Yeah. Uh, so we, I'm, I'm sitting on some really exciting stuff for both rooms. I mean, you know, Alchemy being the bigger room, you know, we do most of our bigger shows there. So, um, you know, Alchemy's got some really awesome things lined up and we got some cool stuff at a skew as well. And, um, you know, we just hold we're, our fingers across that you know, by the time we do get back to September and October that, you know, hopefully we're in a different space. Yeah. And, um, you know, we can actually do the shows and if not, then it'll just be more of the same. I guess we'll see those shows get canceled and moved and, you know, we'll deal with it. Like we have been, Yeah. You know?
2: Yeah. But yeah, even like with what you're doing right now, uh, recently uh, did start up open, uh, doing open mics for comedy on Tuesday nights and, Thursday nights are music. Um,
0: music and, open mic.
2: Yeah, music open mic. Um, how's that been? Or just, you know, wanted to you know let all the listeners know that go to Askew on Tuesdays and Thursdays and, you know, check out these yes, open mics. So
0: what we've been doing is slowly, you know, as the protocols start to relax a little, we're starting to, you know, do a few more things, um, you yeah. know, as, as, as comfortably as we can for people that want to go out. And uh, so, you know, I think we're going to spend some time in March doing some stuff and, you know, early April until it's time to go outside. Um, And what we've done is pretty much just kind of looked at the stage and said, okay, you know, how can we do this, you know, with the sensitivity of of the situation we're in and, and, you know, make it makes, make some sense. Right. So um, we essentially, you know, put some plexiglass up in front of the stage. Uh, We, we, Do two different things with the microphones. We we actually we have enough microphones where we're able to switch. Okay. You know, switch in and out, and then we also uh, wipe them all down. You know, with with, with that that super duper stuff they sell now that you know (laughs) kills everything. And then we also have a a disposable like foam cover. Oh, okay. You know, so it's like a double thing, right? So we, we put the foam cover on, somebody performs on it, we take that cover off, we toss it, we do it, wipe down the microphone, put a new one on. Yeah. Right? And then, you know, uh and and what's happening is is that, you know, nobody's using the same microphone twice, let's put it that way. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So it, it you know, that that's that's worked out really well. People have felt pretty comfortable doing that. Of course we encourage everybody to bring their own mic, which makes mm-hmm. it that much easier. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, that's how we're pulling that off, and and it, and it's uh, you know, it's going it's going you know really well, you know people have been happy about just being able to get up there and do stuff, and you know and everybody feels pretty safe about it, so you know we're excited about that. Yeah. And, uh, you know I think like I said probably in March, um you know we're probably not going to do it, you know every night, but I think you know you are, you are going to start seeing at least a band or two pop up on stage. Okay. Through March on the weekends. Uh you know, what we were doing in November before the pause, we had a bunch of shows. And what we were doing was we were pretty much just doing one band. Yeah. You know, and if it was more than one band, it was only two. Yeah. You know, and again, it was it was it's, you know, really easy for, you know, Pat to go up there and just switch everything out and put, every, you know, another whole new set of mics down and, you know, just have, you know, have, you know, two bands play. So, um, yeah. You know, those were going well. We actually, qu- very quietly, were doing some. You know, you know, uh, I think we were allowed to have about fifty people in the room, and, and we were getting fifty a show. You know, yeah. and, and just having some bands play. The last one of the last ones we did was the Quins, who okay. were absolutely fantastic. I mean, you know, and and um, you know, everybody was just out of their minds. To, you know, <laughs> especially because they were all from Massachusetts at the time, and they weren't allowed to play anywhere. So it was. They were super excited, and the fans were. and Yeah, uh, you know that that's, you know been you know if there's been anything uplifting, you know, uh, you know during this you know period of time, it's just when you finally do get to do a show, everybody's just so, you know, over the top, yeah, yeah. happy. <laughs> you just can't help but be happy about it, you know. So, so yeah, I think I think we're gonna do um, a little bit of that. In fact, I think the last show we did was the McGung. We did the McGunks with the poor men. Okay. Uh, I think the night after Thanksgiving, that was like the last show we did. And then we had to do the pause thing. So, yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. I mean, one thing I, I did want to bring up as we're kind of getting uh, towards the end is uh, I've noticed that it seems that there's like a pretty good friendship with yourself and other bookers, you know, Mike D like Delahonte and Gregor and stuff like that. Um, can you just talk about the, the community of, you know, promoters and, and Providence.
0: I was, it's funny because I was going to say that, you know, again, you know, I'm coming out of, you know, I cut my teeth in the eighties. Yeah. You know, and it went, you know, just life entirely was just a different animal. And, yeah. uh, you know, so, uh, and again, because there was only a few places, you know, to work at and, and, and to do stuff at um, those places became almost like, like, Fortresses, if you will. And, and you know, God forbid you went and you did something somewhere else or you know, or, yeah. or, you know, I mean that's just not what you did. You 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 got accepted into a family and you were loyal to that family and and you know, and you you, 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 you there really wasn't a lot of mixing going on back then. Mm. So for me and especially in the nightclub world, it's even worse, right? So I mean it was um I sort of was taught that kind of you know, growing up through it all. And, um, over time I've had to soften that stance, you know, and, yeah. and learn to adapt as, as life has changed and, and, you know, things have changed. Right. So, you know, if you're going to go 30 years in this racket, you know, the one thing that you have to learn to do is, is, is be adaptable. Even if you don't understand it, you've got to figure out a way to do it because, you know, 30 years is a long time for people and perspective and everything changes. Right. So, yeah. um, yeah, I think we're in a, a situation now where um, you're hundred percent correct. I, I, you know, there's a lot of bars, you know, a lot of bars doing bands, you know, you could open up on any given night and have four other shows you're competing with. And sometimes you're standing there and you're pissed off, you know, <laughs> that, you know, you're, you're, you're not making money and, you know, something else down the street's doing better. And you, you know, but I think the difference is, is that we're not as angry with each other. You know, uh-huh. I think back then you would get, really mad at the other guy, you right. know? And, and, and I think now, you know, now I think there's just a better understanding that we, yeah, we're, we're all kind of trying to do the same thing. We all, you know, Gregory loves what he's doing. Rick, Rick Sunderland loves what he's doing. Yeah, You know, those guys, I have conversations with those guys all the time. They, you know, they sound like me talking. Right. So, uh, you know, so I think you learn that, well, you know, it's, they're not really, you know, trying to, hurt me. They're just doing the same yeah. thing I love to do. You yeah. know. Unfortunately, uh, you know, because of the way the scene is supported and, you know, and the, the um, again, the amount of exposure there is out there and opportunities, uh, unfortunately we all do end up hurting each other a little bit. It's just the nature of economics. You know, yeah. there's only yeah. so many people out there seeing a the show. And you know, there's only so you know, there's only so many dollars to be spent. And you know, sometimes your friends have to make hard decisions about only going to one show instead of all three.
3: Yeah. You
0: know, and um and and, and so those things do happen. And I think you you see, you know, places like Dusk and the parlor and Askew and you know and Alchemy and you know, we all struggle a little bit because it's it, it's not um you know, it's not a perfect world in that situation where every night we're open, you know, and every night's making money, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but you're a hundred percent correct too though. I think I think the the gang that's you know kind of the hierarchy of people that are sort of you know running the things and you know booking the shows um, you know I I think uh, we just have a, a different perspective on it in the sense that you know it's not really meant to be a personal thing it's just you know yeah it is and and if we can all help each other out along the way I I think you know I think we all do a good job of trying to do that yeah you know. Um, I think, I think uh, I've had situations where those guys have stepped up and helped me with stuff just as much as I have for them. So, yeah, okay. uh, you know, uh, so yeah, I, I think we're fortunate that we have this beautiful, you know, little community here that, um, you know, not only, you know, supports the, the arts, but, you know, kind of sort of gets along doing it. <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> you know? yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you know, even though it, even though sometimes it hurts, you know, it hurts mm-hmm. to get along, you know, sometimes, but yeah, mm-hmm. um, uh, at least on a on an economic sense, you know. So yeah, but uh, but uh, yeah, I think it's I think we're all in a great place. I think it, um, you know, it's 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 uh, nicer this way than you know in years past where I you know literally had <laughs> you know a mortal enemy that was doing you know, <laughs> stuff against me. I mean, you know, I've certainly yeah. been through many a years of that. Like I said, especially in the eighties. I mean, you know. Yeah. I can tell you that in the eighties, you know, both on a nightclub level and a band level, you know, there were times where I physically had to fight to, you know, have what I had. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, back then you, you booked the wrong show at the wrong time and somebody else believed it was their band. And, you know, next thing you know, you might, you might be fighting that person.
3: That wow. Person,
0: that person might be coming down to your place to beat you up. Cause how dare you stole his band, you know? Wow. So, uh, I mean, I know the '80s are considered a primitive, barbaric time. <laughs> <laughs> that's how people think today, but I mean, yeah. that's the harsh reality. That's 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 what it was like, you know. So we have a beautiful thing. Yeah. We have a beautiful thing in 2021, you know. Yeah. That, that we can all coexist in some kind of way and mm-hmm. hope for the best. We all hope for the best for each other. I mean, I mean, think about it. what what would be really great is that you know music fans really rally around everyone and, and do everything they can to keep the scene vibrant and, and all the clubs, you know, full, yeah. you know, I mean, that would be, you know, really where it, where it comes in, you know, it's, it's, it's going to depend on the new batch of kids and the new batch of young music fans and are they really interested in going to a venue and seeing a show, you know, Yeah. so we shall see.
2: Yeah. Well, this is a call to action. If you're listening to this <laughs> go to every club go to the <laughs> as often as you can you know um so well i have just uh one more question for you in this you know segment here uh john what would you say is your greatest accomplishment you know connected to to the music industry
0: uh well that's a good question um
2: I just think the, the, um, the answer is marrying your wife is the
0: answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, you heard that, did you?
2: Yeah. <laughs> my this wife. My, and then all right. You know.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is my struggle on a daily basis. Okay. I'm, I'm glad we're getting this on tape, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I just think um I, I don't know. I, I think uh I, I mean at the risk of sounding like I'm backing out of the answer, but I, I just think that since I've been a college kid till you know, till now, you know, I don't know if I ever really imagine myself doing this in the first place mm-hmm. and some of it just kind of happened. So, you know, organically and, you know, it just kind of, you know, sort of just nonchalantly came along that, I, you know, I, I don't know if I, I've, you know, sometimes I don't know if I've stopped to really think about it, you know, as far as, you know, what, you know, what, I, what it is that I'm doing and what it means to people, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I just, I mean, I feel like, you know, I've been doing this since 1984, and, mm-hmm. and I think that um, to me, you know, that's huge. Mm-hmm. I, I just I've seen so many people come and go. I mean, so many people come and go, and uh, you know, so I just think that, you know, my long my longevity in this I think is the thing I I think I'm most proud of is mm-hmm. you know I guess is is the answer right I think it it's not any one particular thing. I think it's the culmination yeah. of all of it, you know, that allows me to, you know, talk to you about this right now and still say, Hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 55. I still got some gas in the tank and I'm still excited about doing it. And I'm still thrilled that, you know, I have the opportunity to do it. And, you know, for some reason I keep, you know, finding the right people and coming up with the right ideas. And, um, you know, in, in, in his, you know, his COVID, you know, and, yeah, you know, I, I, I made a joke last year that, you know, I, I've, I've kind of gotten used to being the oldest guy in the room and having an answer for what the situation is. And <laughs> yeah. I, I remember sitting around, you know, about halfway through this thing. And I, and I looked at everybody, I go, you know, what's amazing about this for once in my career, I could say, I don't have an answer. I I've yeah. never seen this before. So, uh, you know, it, it you know, it's just as uh, exciting for me, I guess, as it is for anybody else. Just you know, being in a a world of uncertainty and not really knowing what the answers are. You know, so yeah, uh, you know, if you multiply that over 30 years of just all these different things coming at you, you mm-hmm. know, able to adapt and overcome. I, I I think I think I could say that that's that's been my biggest thing. You know. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and I think the second thing is like I said. I think you know. I don't, I think none of us realize, I guess, and you know, um, how much some of this means to people, you know, so um, I'm happy in a sense that, you know, I'm able to do something that does bring joy to people in the world and helps Mm -hmm. them in some kind of way. Um, You know, I I think that makes me happy as well.
3: Yeah.
0: I would say those are the two big things.
2: Yeah. Well, John, this has been fantastic. Appreciate you taking the time to talk. It's cool to hear your story and uh, your connection, and how deep it is with uh, Rhode Island's music scene. So, thank you, John.
0: Absolutely, and thank you for having me, man. This is a it's a fabulous thing you are doing. I've been listening to, you know, all of them, and you know, they they cool. They, thank they, you. They, yeah, it's 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 a cool thing, man. I'm glad you're doing it. Thank you. Yeah. Maybe when things get back to normal, we can even do one from the stage. Yeah. (laughs) Live from a school, you know? That'd be cool. Yeah.